Hassan II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode number 61 right here on the on the cusp of oil, the OTC, I'll say oil, the Offshore Technology Conference. Welcome in, Mr. LaCour. How are you feeling this morning? I'm doing awesome today. No, nope, we were both well. <laughs> yes, sick. this is the Nobody's first. Yeah, it's been a few weeks, right? Yeah, the epic floods have subsided, so uh, all good stuff. All good stuff. All good stuff. Let's kick it off with our, with our, with our good friend, Mr. Kirby Colvin. He's hired. Yeah, congratulations, Kirby. He's hired. One of our, one of our, got a job. Tell, tell the story because you helped him much more than I did. Yeah. So Kirby's one of our listeners and he reached out to us because he was interviewing. Um, I don't want to say the name of the company because we don't have permission yet, but it's an oil and gas company. And he wanted some help to get prepped for his interview. So we helped him and he got a job. So way to go, Kirby. Congratulations. You're moving to H-Town. Uh, it's going to be cool to actually meet you in person. Yeah, I can't wait. And, and we have a, a bit of a running episode or a running section on the at the beginning of the show called we stand corrected this week we do not stand corrected mark and i'll let you take it from here yeah i had this interesting uh twitter conversation um basically somebody one of our listeners which we appreciate all of our listeners even the ones that don't agree with what we say but one of our listeners reached out on twitter to me and said basically uh that he doesn't like it when i go off into the climate denial gibberish <laughs> and as a listener you know i've never denied climate change climate change has been here way before humans right we fluctuate between ice ages and global warming it's happened uh for for millions of years and it'll happen for millions of years in the future the only thing i question and i'm not saying i don't necessarily buy into it, i'm just questioning it because i'm a researcher is the is man's contributing to the speeding up of global warming and 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 the the science is not out there but it was it was a great exchange for me as a researcher it it, i it fascinates me people how people make these emotional decisions and then believe it and actually in this twitter exchange he called out that i had a um i had a a a bias um because i'm getting paid by the oil and gas industry and as a listener you should know that i don't make any money from the oil and gas industry my clients tend to be technology companies, right? That have tried to sell the oil and gas and failed, may need some help. So uh, that's the first assumption he made. And then the second thing that he did is it's, he has actually a, what's called a confirmation bias. So basically that's a bias where you believe that if other people talk about uh, studies or facts or whatever that support the way you think about things, then you naturally believe it's true, more true than stuff that doesn't support your background, but it was it was a, a great critter, uh, Twitter exchange back and forth because I'm, I get to see the inside of how people emotionally attach themselves to things that the facts don't necessarily support. One of the things that went back and forth on was water vapor. You know, water vapor is ninety five percent of global warming, right? CO two is four. So if you look at it from a logic point of view, you would want to address that ninety five percent, right, James? It seems logical, and I was glad that you got to it because I was wondering if if you could unpack that just a little bit because we have a lot of stories to get into yeah yeah so global warming is natural global warming happens for a bunch of reasons um and one of the reasons is our atmosphere's ability to trap heat from the sun right and those are called greenhouse gases the the most impactful greenhouse gas is water vapor it's 95 percent of, of all global warming gases caused by water vapor and my point is man's activity 
has increased the amount of water vapor. I mean, every time you take a shower, think of all the sprinklers out there, all the man-made fountains, all the man-made lakes and rivers, and every time you cook food, all that increases water vapor. And my question to the environmentalist is, why don't you talk about that? You never hear it. And, and I know the answer. The answer is because there's no money in it. There's money in, in trying to mitigate CO2. There's no money in trying to mitigate water vapor. Um, and, and once again, as a researcher, I just questioned that. And it's uh, it's fascinating to watch the emotional responses come back instead of the logical, uh, clear thinking type responses. But once again, um, you know, I, I appreciate our listeners. I understand you have a different viewpoint than mine. That's totally fine. Um, it's one of the great things about living here in the U.S. is we can have these different viewpoints and we can talk about them openly. And one of the things that's great about living in the U.S. is that we have a consistent, steady, abundant supply of fuel now. And getting into our stories, that's not happening in Nigeria. We're following this story, following up on some things that we talked about a few episodes ago. So 13 reasons fuel crisis persists in Nigeria. Yeah, it, this is horrible for the Nigerian people. And, and the president is working on this, but it's still... Um, if anybody's old enough to remember the the uh, 70s um, oil embargo and the lines for gas, that's the every day in Nigeria right now, right? Huge lines trying to get a few liters of, of fuel for your vehicle. And it's caused by a bunch of things, but bottom line is corruption, right? They need to get corruption out of the system. Um, there's uh, crude oil is being sold on the black market, literally um, the bad guys go to a crude oil pipeline, tap into it, offload the crude, and go sell it, right? So that crude never makes it to Nigerian refineries so they can refinery, refine it. There's um, no new refineries because they don't have the money to build new refineries. The existing refineries um, are not running at peak capacity. And even if they were, they couldn't su um, supply the amount of fuel that the Nigerian uh, country needs. So this, this is a mess. This is preventing prosperity. Um, and this needs, uh, and they, Nigeria needs to get a handle on this. And like I said, the president has come a long way. He's working on this. So I, I, I have full faith, as long as he stays in office, that somewhere down the road um, that Nigeria will be able to supply its own fuel needs. I'm trying to bring together the words. You can't see me because this is a audio show, not a video show. But my, my jaw is on my desk as I read this particular sentence. The Minister of State for Petroleum Resources was stating the obvious when he said this week that at least 30% of fuel allocations meant for different parts of the country were diverted daily to neighboring countries. Yeah, that's that's 30%. That's a lot. I mean, yeah, that, that's, not, that's not an outlier statistic. No, and remember, that 30% of that total, that total is still not enough to supply everybody's fuel requirements. So it makes that 30% even more impactful. Wow. All right, moving over to another story we continue to track, which is who who's going to who's going to do business in Iraq? Who's who's going to actually go ahead and dip their toe in the water and GE Oil and Gas signs partnership agreement with Iraq Ministry of Oil. Yeah, I was waiting. I was waiting to see who was going to be first and it looks like GE's first. Um, I sure hope they've done they, and I know GE, they, they, they've, they've figured out what risk they need to mitigate before they sign this agreement. Uh, they're a big company, they're a good company. Um, but I would not have <laughs> partnered with Iraq right now. Um, GE's going to face an uphill battle, right? Uh, corruption, security, the inability for Iraq to secure, secure its borders, um, it is going to be a mess. Now, the interesting thing is GE's coming in at a high level. And, you know, we've talked before about the Internet of Things and the digital oil field. That's actually what they're partnering with the uh, Minister of Oil in Iraq on, is they're literally they're going to build a, a, a system 
where there's a bunch of sens sensors, everything from the oil is discovered in the ground till it's actually refined or shipped out. And the, the, uh, the Iraqi government will be able to monitor that and see in real time where everything is. If they're able to pull this off, that's going to go a long way to help uh, curb a lot of the corruption of black market because they can they can track that oil and gas from the moment it's come out of the ground until it ends up where it's supposed to be. So, um, you know, this, this is going to be a long-term story that you and I are going to need to track. Um, I, I don't see GE doing this without any hitches. I think they're going to have some hiccups um, and, and you know, it's it's maybe even some major setbacks. But let's see what happens because it's, it's a start in the right direction. But it's not something I would have done for sure. But it, it has a, a strong upside because the solution could translate into more than 200 megawatts per site at, uh, and recovery of several thousand barrels of, per day of liquefied petroleum gas. Oh, easily, 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 easily. There, there's so much black market stuff going on over there. I, I don't know what the number is, and, and nobody else knows what the number is because they're so corrupt you can't get a real number. But a large portion of their production is hitting the black market, which then means that the people of Iraq don't receive the benefits from like taxes and tariffs and everything because that, that, that oil is diverted. Um, so, uh, you know, this is something that needs to be done. It's, you know, we just finished talking about the corruption in Nigeria. Nigeria is, is, is coming out of that, right, mainly due to their president. Iraq hasn't even started to come out of that yet. I will put it in the extras in the show notes. I should have shared it with you, but it was from Vice News. It was a it, raw footage of a GoPro camera on the top of an ISIS fighter's helmet. And I'm not going to say anything more than that, but when you talked about the black market, where do you think a lot of that oil is going? So I do hope that they get this under control and that it prospers the right people in that region of the world. All right, we have a little news from the International Business Times. I'm pretty sure you probably don't like the way that this is written. I personally don't, but that's why I want to talk about it. Obama's controversial offshore drilling proposal rests on research funded by fossil fuel industry. Yeah, this article sucks. I mean, it's so left-wing written. It's so slanted. I mean, you know, I, it's um, this is the type of stuff I hate to see in the news because it's not objective. Um, it, this whole thing is written about how the evil fossil fuel industry is trying to destroy the planet, and it's not true. <laughs> um, you know, the 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 offshore drilling proposal that's in um, in front of uh, Congress right now. If it gets approved, and I don't think it will, if it gets approved, is add a, another layer of cost that this industry doesn't need, especially in this low crude price market. Um, uh, nothing against our our our, our government, uh, the you know the, our senators and our, and our um, representatives, but they don't know oil and gas at all. Um, let's clarify uh, too. Let's clarify too. When we say they don't, we're not only talking about one side. No, no, both sides. N neither side knows the oil and gas industry. They're politicians, right? They've never been offshore. And if they've been offshore, they have no idea what you know through tubing is, or coil tubing, or what a blowout preventer is, or a treat. They know none of that, and yet they want to make laws to try to regulate something they know nothing about. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, when the BP Macondo disaster happened, uh, the federal government wanted to step in, and as an industry, we went. You can't run the government, much less make sure our people are safe offshore. So, you know, I'm, a, I'm on the board of directors of the American Petroleum Institute, and we wrote something called the um, API Recommended Practice 75. So um, API RP 75. And the government took that and turned it literally verbatim into law, the Sims law, to prevent another BP Macondo disaster happening. That's done, right? The law is in place. It's well written. Um, it's very safe. Um, we don't need another layer of regulation put on the offshore industry and oil and gas. I mean, we just don't, not in this low crude price, not ever, actually. I mean, it's, once again, it's just a, it's a, it's a step 
politically by a part of our government who wants to appease a lot of its constituents that they are doing something to help protect the environment. We're over that hump, people. Our, our air and water pollution peaked in like 1978. Um, we got it down right. If you really want to protect the planet, go look at China or the developing countries where you never hear about them having an oil spill. But they do, but you never hear about it, right? We got, we got this down pat. So um, don't like the article, don't like where it went, don't like how they misconstrued facts. Uh, it just I mean, it just basically sucks. I'm, <laughs> I'm Thank you for that. I'm glad, though, that you... Because you've said the thing, uh, the story about the Macondo disaster and, and how the API wrote it and put it into law. Anyone who is opposed to this industry would be listening to this show right now and go, well, yeah, the fossil fuel industry, the, the evil, corrupt people that they are, wrote that and it went into law. So I just want to talk through the logic of that real quick. Yeah. So, so, so who would be better off making sure that another Macondo disaster doesn't happen? Politicians or subsea engineers? Well, let's I mean, let's, it's just, it's, let's take yeah, it it's just common sense, right? Let, let's take it in another direction, though. Um, let, let's let's change up the headline a little bit. Controversial proposal on brushing teeth written by dentists. Who who else would you want to to actually? You don't hear anybody doing this with. You hear it in in some other places, but we have a particular target on our back. Where if you, if if the if the government's going to pass something about oh I don't know healthcare, not that they ever do that. Um, do they get doctors involved, or do they actually uh, get people who, or or do they go out? to um you know reiki specialists and things like that and get them to tell us do you know what i mean do you want it based no, on no, the no, science exactly like you want it based the on the science of the people that know what they're talking about or just anybody you could get off the street yeah so so the the dentist analogy is a perfect one right of course you'd want dentists to talk about you know uh have the proper way to take care of your teeth i mean that's what dentists do and it's that's a good analogy because um the only people that really understand this industry are the people that work into it, work in it, and actually do this for a living. So, um, you know, once again, this is just a uh, this, this article is so left slanted; it's not even funny. And and I can say that that as someone who grew up knowing nothing about the industry, as I say, I'm from Michigan. The only thing I knew was that you had to change oil every three thousand miles, and it's not only that people in this the only people in this industry that know how it works are the people in this industry and the people that have been in this industry for a long time because i'm still i'm still learning on this show every week in every day of my life and everybody that in the industry that you talk to even 30-year veterans go oh gosh yeah man i that i learn something new every single day yeah, and this industry wants to keep its people safe. This industry wants to keep the environment safe. It's, 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 nobody wants it more than us. So anyway, this, this article just kind of sucks, like I said. All right, so we're going to flip the script on them because we have, we, we have one that we have some confirmation bias with, <laughs> with Newsweek. Why are they hiding the good news about fracking? Yeah, this is, I actually, this is a great article, James. It's a good one that you found. So um, this is in Newsweek, and they're talking about uh, how people um, – when they do research around fracking, and if the research comes back and it says, you know, that there's no, no, fracking has never contaminated drinking water, that they don't want to report on it because it's not what they wanted it to say. And the interesting thing about this is, um, is that uh, this is another third party, right? This, this, this 
uh, research was funded um, by an environmental group, right? And they wanted to show that fracking contaminate drinking water. And the research came back saying that it didn't, zero, not a bit, nothing. And the thing that always gets me about this, if you're out there in the public, and I appreciate the people that are worried about contamination or drinking water, right? That's important, right? Clean water is, is a right that every American should have access to, literally every human should have access to. Um, but if you're worried about clean water, let me throw a couple of numbers out there. Fracking has not been proven to contaminate water one time. Last year, the U.S. agriculture industry, particularly pig farms, uh, uh, contaminated drinking water 619 times. So if you're really sincerely worried about drinking water, go look at agriculture. Leave us alone, right? We don't contaminate drinking water. Hey, but leave uh, my bacon alone, all right, Mark? <laughs> leave my bacon alone. It's on I, sale saying, at Fiesta another, right now. <laughs> it's, it's another um, another point of where people make emotional decisions instead of logical decisions, right? And then they believe right? Because they have that bias because it confirms what they believe in. They believe that what they're doing is the right thing. If you sincerely want to make sure that the U.S. has less drinking water contamination, go look at agriculture. It's, it's, you know, it's a magnitude, a huge, much more um, a contributor to uh, contaminate drinking water than, than the oil and gas industry. All right. Continuing on our emotional roller coaster here. <laughs> <laughs> we have Cuomo's pipeline decision may have ripple effects for energy policy. We're talking about emotion versus facts. I put in here, Mark and I, we, we actually use an Evernote while we're talking about the stories and so forth. And, and that's where I make the blog post off of and all these things. So I went out to the, out to the, the official energy government website and looked up natural gas consumption by end use New York. And so why don't we let that statistic guide our conversation, Mark? Yeah, so New York uses a ton of natural gas. Um, and, and this is this is one of the things that bothers me about, and, and it's their state, right? So, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in states' rights. If this is how they want to run a state, I totally support it. But their politicians say that fracking is evil, right? It's bad, right? So they banned it in New York. Yet, they have no problem buying the natural gas from fracking, right? Which which makes me look at them as a bunch of hypocrites. Um, and this is another you know another place where politics are impacting the population in a negative way. So they they basically have denied um, uh, what was the name of the company uh, Cabot. Cabot, they we're going to get to that. Cabot, uh, the ability to build this pipeline. This pipeline would transport the frack gas that New York doesn't say is good for the, for them, but they want to buy it from the surrounding states to New York to keep their fuel prices low, to keep their electrical grid up and to reduce air pollution, right? Because you switch from coal to natural gas and you automatically reduce air pollution by 60%. And yet they deny this pipeline, even though all studies said it was totally fine. So, um, I, you know, you know, it's, it's hypocritical. We, we've talked about this before. You don't see this in other political movements, right? You don't see the uh, PETA people wearing fur. I mean, they, they, they really, they believe in what they do, right? They believe in protecting animals. And so they don't, they aren't hypocrites. This is the equivalent of, of something like of that group wearing fur. I mean, you know, you're buying, you're denying the ability to import gas, but your state runs on it and you buy it. So this is just, you know, once again, this is just a bad political decision. And the people that are going to suffer is, is the, the population in New York, right? As their electrical prices go up, um, you know, this is a direct result of that. All right, we're going to get more into that Cabot story later, so I will, I will hold my analogy <laughs> that I have in my mind for then. Uh, let's go back up in, in, the, in the roller coaster here in terms of, of some, some better news to, to talk about. Three reasons Chevron is committed 
to the Permian Basin. And oh, who doesn't love talking about the Permian Basin, Mark? I love talking about the Permian Basin and Chevron. Chevron's one of my favorite companies. So this is a, a internally, this is Chevron's mid-continent uh, uh, opco or, or business unit that has all this acreage in the Permian. Um, and the reason they have all this acreage in Permian is because it makes money for Chevron. And maybe not today, but in a couple of months, a couple of years. Um, Permian is very cost competitive. It's very inexpensive. The geology there is just awesome. And so Chevron has some enormous uh, stakes out there. And Chevron's learning. They didn't do real well with this in the beginning, but they're learning how to be profitable in the shale fields, right? Because it's different than offshore where Chevron's used to making money. Um, offshore, it's all about hitting uh, project start dates and deliverables because all the math and finance stuff is done up front. You know what you need to do to make money and just a matter of being able to deliver on that. Whereas in the shale fields, it's all about efficiencies. How can you punch holes in the ground with the efficiency that, say, Toyota builds Camrys, right? It's about factoring uh, that type of production. So Chevron's getting really good at this. Um, now, <clears throat> it's interesting that uh, this is an investor story. Um, you know, if, if you look at Chevron long-term wise, like, uh, you know, right now they're not doing great, but if you look at them long-term wise, they are positioning themselves from a shareholder value point of view to really excel when the price of crude comes back. And this story is just one of those, um, um, uh, you know, one of those things that Chevron's done really well that will help them and help their shareholders and help their employees when uh, crude rebounds. What's interesting to me is some of the break-evens they talk about here. Because of favorable geology, some parts of the basin, such as certain counties over the Wolf Camp and Sprayberry, have break-evens of well below $35 a barrel. Overall, 18 of the 22 counties that cover the Permian have break-evens below $45 per barrel. And give us an, give us an idea of what those break-evens looked like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Shoot, are you kidding me? <laughs> Let's not even go 10 or 15 years ago. Let's go five years ago, right? Those break-evens were $75, $80, $85 a barrel um, um, because they were learning how to efficiently extract the crude and gas from shale. And we've learned how to do it, and we're very, very good at it. Um, I, know some, I, I know some players out there that they have some um, properties, and their break-even point is in the teens, right? And that's 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 because, silly. That's silly is what that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's because um, of the – uh, increase in knowledge and the use of new technology uh, allows you to drive costs down. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. In the old days, you had to go stand up a rig. You know, it was, I don't know how many diesel trucks worth of stuff, you know, 30 or whatever, um, to go stack this rig. Now the rig walks, stacks itself. <laughs> you know, the rig the rig walks to the next drill pad. It's, it, you know, um, our, our ability to understand the geology has been greatly enhanced. In fact, you and I were at uh, Drilling Info's a road tour yesterday and they talked a little bit about that right how those plays how that data of those plays allow operators to be much more efficient so this is all really good stuff you know i fully fully expect that once the price rebounds chevron's gonna um you know dump a bunch of money in the permian and you can see a lot of production come out of there all right we're back to the bottom with exxon it says 25 billion dollar rule will sink deep water oil drilling i have thoughts on this i'll let you share yours first yeah, so we talked about this earlier, right, about the uh, White House's uh, uh, controversial um, offshore ruling. And this is Exxon, who, in, in my humble opinion, is the best oil and gas engineering company on the planet. Nobody, and I mean nobody, knows oil and gas like Exxon does, right? And so when Exxon comes out and says, hey, you pass this law and you could kill the Gulf of Mexico drilling in the U.S., they're probably right, right? So, um, you know, I don't think that this law is going to pass. 
Um, we'll see. I've been wrong about a couple of things in our political a, a system couple, in the last couple you, of years. Or a couple I, of things on the show in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Right? So I, I sure as heck hope this doesn't pass. And, and once again, we don't need this in this low crude price environment. You're talking about people's jobs, right? Their livelihood, their family's uh, security, financial security. Don't lay another layer of federal profitability on our industry. We got enough, right? So this just needs to stop. It needs to stop. And I'm going to call us out, though. Because if it doesn't stop, it's our fault. Because, yeah, agreed. Because what we do in this industry is we is we do nothing, and then we blame everyone besides ourselves for everything that happens to us. And if we don't learn how to speak to human beings as human beings and and let them know that we are not big oil, we are we are hardworking Americans that just so happen it just so happens to be that our work makes their work possible. If we yeah. can't connect that message across the board, I mean, you and I were talking about this yesterday. We can look at outliers. Shell is really great at this. There's other companies that are really great at this, but I maybe can name them on one hand. And if we don't take this seriously as an industry, we're going to be regulated out of business 30 years from now. We, 30 years from now, our coffin will be wrapped in red tape and lowered into Mother Earth. And... That's not a place that I want to be because I'm not a selfish person that says, oh, 30 years from now, well, you know, I'll be retiring. Well, no, 30 years from now, my son will be 35 years old, and I would like him to have affordable energy as well. Yeah, and you know, you and I both on the show stay away from politics. And let me say one thing about this. Vote. People get out and vote. I don't care what your beliefs are, but make a difference. Raise your hand. Say this is enough, right? Learn what your politicians are doing. Learn which ones are helping your industry, and then don't vote for them. Um, so that's that's. I'll get off my soapbox, but one of the things that you know, you know, I'm I, I'm a very patriotic person. You know, four years in Marine Corps. I love my country to death. But one of the things I'm disappointed is the lack of people going out and voting. Yeah, we definitely got to vote. And we definitely have to take responsibility for telling our story and, and getting the truth out there. Not in because we, we have a lot of people, we have plenty of plenty of groups that are supporting the industry that have all kinds of publications, but they're all so damn divisive in the way that it's all sensationalist, right? It's all reactionary. And it's all old school commercial type stuff instead of actually talking to the people you know being real being transparent yeah, yeah i agree with you we, it's you know my own organization api is bad about that right we spend hundreds of millions of dollars on on marketing and, and stuff like that but the message basically is just discounted because it's so big marketing fake not real type of thing so yeah we need to change that well one story that will help that in this vein is our next one. Will railroads survive the coal and oil onslaught? And this directly proves what we were just talking about in terms of our work making other people's work possible. And this is an interesting article. So what they're basically saying is that the railroads make money by moving stuff, right? They're, they're basically a huge logistics mesh network in the U.S. Move stuff from one place to another. And because we're reducing the amount of coal that we use, the railroad's losing that revenue from shipping coal from where coal is produced to the power plants because we're switching to natural gas. And so that's hurting the railroads, which I never even thought about that till I read this article that you found. And then there's other things going on. Um, you know, with the increased number of pipelines, less crude is being moved. And even from an agriculture point of view, right? So it, the oil and gas industry is in a slump, but a lot of people don't realize that all commodities are. 
sugar, wheat, corn, copper, whatever. Once again, the railroad companies move that stuff around and make money. And so there's less of it being moved around because of the low prices. So um, the railroad industry is is not in a great place right now. Um, and, and you know, typically when you have that type of scenario, it, that's what starts the whole mergers and acquisitions thing. Unfortunately for the railroad industry, because of, of, of regulation and, you know, old school laws in place, it's a bit harder for them to do mergers and acquisitions. So they talked about the failed mergers of a Canadian Pacific, um, you know, trying to pick up Norfolk. So it's, um, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens long term wise. Now, I don't think the re- the railroad industry is gonna disappear because it's so darn cheap to move stuff on a train. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So um, I, but I do think that probably there's going to be some mergers and acquisitions and probably some new technologies, right? So GE's looking at um, natural gas-powered locomotives. Uh, once again, how cool is that, right? Using our cheap, abundant natural gas, which will reduce the cost for the railroad industry so they can continue to make money even in this uh, lower price environment that they're in. Let's go from talking about coal to talking about solar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a good article. Um, Sun, let me let me just let me tee it up real quick. So Sun Edison filed for bankruptcy, and and Sun Edison, another another very very subsidized and very championed company by a certain individual and administration. So go ahead, Mark. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit before I get into this. A lot of people believe that the oil and gas industry has subsidies, and they believe that because politicians that don't know jack say that out loud, so people just assume it's true. It's not true. We get tax breaks, so like the manufacturing side of oil and gas, it's the same tax breaks that like automobile manufacturers, right? Um, so, but we're not subsidized at all. In fact, we pay more than our fair share of taxes compared to other verticals. However, the solar industry in particular in the U.S. is subsidized. It's heavily subsidized. The wind industry is as well, but it's not as heavily subsidized. And some states, like our great state of Texas, there is no subsidies for wind. We, we're the number one wind generator, folks, in <laughs> state of Texas. Not California, not New York, Texas. But we're the number one wind generator because they do it at a profit. So they make money at it, right, which is how it's supposed to work. Let the free market decide. Um, Sun Edison had to file for bankruptcy because, quite frankly, uh, their business model doesn't work, even though it was heavily subsidized. And so they should they, they should go out of business. And nothing against solar. In the right place, it makes total sense, right? But I don't want my tax dollars to go prop up an industry that can't make it in the free market. That's 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 just a total waste of money. And that's what was what's going on with Sun Edison. And I want to unpack that point a little bit more because you say that politicians say – I watched, we talked about Alex Epstein being there at at the Senate hearing on uh, whatever, go to the previous show and figure it out. Um, but regardless, every senator who doesn't agree, they were they were quick to, that, that they, that's all they talked about was the subsidies, quote unquote, subsidies for the oil and gas industry. And so can you unpack what it means when you say the manufacturing side and it's just like auto? Can you kind of just let us know a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, we'll take somebody like Chevrolet. When Chevrolet builds a new plant and they have all those the machines that build cars and welders and robots and whatever, they get to, to depreciate that over a period of time. They get a tax break on that, right? Because U.S. government says, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll help you. We'll give you a tax break to build this plant because you employ people, right, and you, and you help the economy, and, and that's a good thing. And, and that's how it should be done. The oil and gas industry has the same exact <laughs> – um, depreciation thing for, for manufacturing. So companies like um, uh, FMC, Cameron, G Oil and Gas, Acker, blah, 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 um, 
the companies that make stuff in oil and gas, when they build their factory, they get to depreciate that equipment. But it's the same rate as what you know other manufacturers do, and it, it's for the same reason, right? So, you know, somebody like Cameron opens up a new plant building trees or whatever. Think of all the people they hire, which is good for the people and good for the economy. Um, th this industry pays more than its fair share of taxes. Uh, if you want to look at who makes the most money in the U.S. on oil and gas, it's the federal government. It's, it's not Exxon. It's not Shell. The federal government is the biggest money maker from oil and gas. And yet, uh, our current administration um, is is sometimes like it goes out of its way to try to hurt the industry that funds them, which is just silly. Well, we've talked about this before. I've mentioned this particular statistic before that Exxon Mobil, the government makes more money from Exxon Mobil's operations than ExxonMobil does. Yeah, of course. And, and but you I you know, I've yet to hear a politician talk about that no. on either side. On either side. We are soapboxing like crazy this week. I love it. All right. <laughs> We're going back to the Constitution pipeline. Cabot Oil and Gas are, are are seeking only one seeking alpha story this week. Uh Cabot Oil and Gas without the Constitution pipeline, what does it look like for them? This is going to hurt their balance sheet, right? They were they were banking on this going through. They did everything. They crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's. They jumped through all the freaking hoops that the state of New York make them, made them jump through. And then the state of New York makes a political decision, no pipeline. So this is going to hurt their balance sheet for a while. Um, they took a risk. They knew their risk. Um, and this, you know, this is one of the things that happens when you're when you're an oil and gas company is is that, you know, sometimes, especially um, in the U.S. and in Europe, where you can't always control politics, you may have a project that makes total sense, that is totally good for the environment, that uh, helps, uh, you know, local populations with jobs and prosperity, everything. And then some politician just pulls a plug and you're just, you know, you're, you're just sitting there high and dry. So that's what happened to Cabot. I, I feel for them. Um, I. Quite honestly, I, I know that the price of energy will go up in New York because of this lack of uh, this pipeline being approved. And so let them pay for it. I mean, it's their choice. The, the question that I said, I'd, or analogy, I said analogy, but it's really more of a question. And it has to do with the fact that the natural gas has to move somehow. They're producing it. And, 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 and New York is still going to consume it. So it's going to get there. What, by truck, by, by rail? It's, it's going to get there by a more expensive method when that cost is passed on to the people of New York, right? So this is their choice. And, and you know, honestly, I'm really fine with this. I, I hate to see this happen for Cabot, um, but, you know, like we talked about earlier, I'm a big believer in states' rights, and if this is how New York's population wants to run their state, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it, too. I'm just, I guess I wanted to, to make that point, though, that they're still going to get the gas, and they're, it's, it's, it's going to happen it's just not going to happen through a pipeline. Well, it's it just they could get it in a more expensive manner. There's existing pipelines that that um, that um, can't increase their capacity, um, and so what happens is then your price starts going up. Once you're a pipeline company and you're maxed out on transport, you just go up on your prices. And the, once again, those prices are passed on to the people of New York. You know, it's not the the pipeline companies going to eat that cost. No way. Well, we will continue to follow that story. We'll see what electricity looks like in six or twelve months in New York. Talking about Cabot, I always have to give a big shout out. I'm a good good friends with Brittany Thomas, coordinator of external affairs over there. We like to talk hockey, and she happens to be, unfortunately for her, a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. And <laughs> and and her 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 baby boy Sidney Crosby is about to be crushed by Alexander Ovechkin in round two of the NHL 
Stanley Cup playoffs 2016. But anyway, um, so George Stark and her do a great job for Cabot, and they have a story here on Natural Gas. Now, shale gas, a blessing, and we'll come back with a vengeance. Yeah, I agree 100% with this, right? So you're starting to see the price of natural gas go up. Um, you're starting to see gas come out of storage. So what's going to happen is eventually that that oversupply will disappear and and Shell will come back with a vengeance. I absolutely agree with a bang. Now, our gas prices in the U.S. are going to stay low for the next several hundred years because we have so much natural gas here. We don't know what to do with it. Um, but right now, people aren't drilling gas wells because the, the price, you know, I say that there's some very forward looking companies out there that see this price coming back. And so they're actually drilling wells right now, trying to get ahead of that curve. But most people aren't drilling new gas wells. But as soon as the price rebounds, they'll start drilling uh, new gas wells. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to go from, you know, right now it's famine. Right? There's not enough people out there. There's not enough rigs. People aren't working. The service companies are to feast <laughs> where you have the exact opposite. You're not, people aren't going to be able to get rigs because they're all going to be utilized. The service companies aren't going to be able to hire enough people. It's, it's, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And one thing that needs to come to your balance sheet is efficiency. Look at that. Look at that. I'm getting really good at this, Mark. Um, InTech is committed to driving efficiencies into your business, and they have a white paper, and I'm going to let Mark talk to you about it. Yeah, if you're an operator out in the fields anywhere and you want to see how you can decrease your operating costs, come download this white paper. Intex are experts at this, and they wrote this just for our audience. It talks about how they can help you with field automation in all kinds of ways, things you may not even thought about, right? So, you know, how do you predict that maybe one of your mud pumps is going out? Think how much money you lose when that mud pump goes down. And you got to get somebody to hot shot another one out there and you have no production for three or four or five days. Intech can make sure that never happens to you. So a great company, a great resource they provide to you free, right? They could sell you this, but they're, they're giving it to our audience for free. So go download it. It's, it's a great read and it may help you reduce your costs out there in the field. You can, and you can get that at intechww.com forward slash podcast, intechww.com forward slash podcast. And we're going to talk about the LinkedIn group at the end. But we have to give a big, a big, 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 big shout out to, um, oh my goodness, am I, am, I, am I losing his name? Am I losing his name? Really? It's in the text message. It's not in the Evernote, Mark. So I'm going to pull up, pull up the text that I sent you earlier because it is Jerry. I know that much. Um, he works for Transocean. Oh my goodness. I don't want to cut and edit. So I'm going to find it. Jerry Levine, Senior Project Engineer and, pro and Project Lead Mechanical at Transocean. He was our thousandth LinkedIn member, Mark. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Welcome to the welcome to the family. Welcome to the tribe. We crossed one thousand, and he asked us if 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 we if we've ever thought about talking more about ROVs, and and we have touched on it in in previous episodes. But he found a particular story on the Maritime Executive from back in December. DNV tests drones for hull surveys. So. We're running short on time, but as, as quickly as you can, give us an idea of what this whole segment of the industry is about. Yeah, so you know what's cool about this that you don't know? I actually have a press interview scheduled with DNV at OTC next week. Oh, that's so awesome. With your happens. press pass, no less, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so this is talking about how drones are used in the industry. And drones, the growth of drone uses in this industry is skyrocketing. I've never – I mean, it literally came from nowhere two years ago till it's all over the place. When I say drone, most people think of, of aircraft. There's, there's, Summerjay has this whole robotic fish thing going on out there. Um, there, there's, um, um, you know, drones that actually crawl in pipelines. Um, I mean, they're all over the place. And it, what it is, it's just a better, cheaper, less 
of a safety concern way of doing business. And so uh, this is a great article about DNV, how they're using um, uh, drones to, to, to actually uh, survey hulls for, for uh, uh, you know, ships and, and large boats and that sort of stuff. So a uh, great read, um, that part, like I said, that's part of the industry. If you're a drone manufacturer and you're not looking at oil and gas, you're crazy. <laughs> you need to look at oil and gas because that market is growing like gangbusters. Yeah, and you probably need to talk to Mark. Um, so, so thanks, thanks so much, Jerry, for the for the article. It's all all of these articles and everything are in the show notes. This is episode sixty one, so it's tribrocket.com forward slash tw sixty one. Given all of our rants, maybe I'll get a chuckle. I don't know. <laughs> Study find uh, this is the onion of the week, by the way. Study finds controlled Washington D.C. wildfires crucial to restoring healthy political environment. Yeah, uh, I like the idea. I don't think it's funny, but I like the idea. <laughs> All right, I like the idea. I like the idea. We could we could use some controlled burns out there, but we must move on because, as I said, we're short on time. But oh my goodness, OTC's coming up. I'm too excited, and we have a winner for our Red Wing offshore bag that I'm getting compliments all over Houston for. So who is that? Our winner is Sandra Mann, instructor, drilling engineer at an Australian School of Petroleum. So congratulations, Sandra. You're going to love this bag. It's an awesome bag. How cool is that? She's, she's an instructor in Australia. How, how, how do we have it's, listeners in Australia? It's, it just blows my mind. It's so cool. This, uh, this, this medium and this technology is, is just amazing. How many people? Well, it's also we've... our industry too, James. I mean, the oil and gas industry is global, so we have we have I'm sure we, we you and I both know we have listeners all over the world. Yeah, it's just it's 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 still really cool to me. I mean, even just yesterday, a guy reached out to me on LinkedIn, and he's from Massachusetts, and he actually sells solar, and he's been interesting and interested in petroleum for, for for quite a while. And I'm just like, gosh, this solar sales guy out in Massachusetts driving around to a sales calls, listening to us. It's just really funny. Um, who wants to hear me talk anyway? All right, so. The, the but here's the thing red wing will be at otc right mark yep so red, red wings have a booth there so if you'd like to meet the people behind these cool offshore bags and actually the head of global sales tito warren will be there who's a, a buddy of ours and a, a big fan of the show so and i think james you're actually going to do an interview at otc with tito right that's right we're going to be doing a 0.5 episode interview with red wing and it's going to be with Tito and Jim. I can't remember his last name, so apologies to Jim already. But we have everything lined up, and and it's going to be a really busy but very fun week. Yeah, so if if you're a, a listener and you'd like to meet the people at Red Wing or James and I or just get together and say hi, let us know. We'll be at OTC um, all week. Um, probably the best thing is to hit us up on Twitter. Um but yeah, if we, we would love to meet you in person. Yes. If you want to find us on Twitter, I'm at James Han the second. So at James Han II and Mark is at Mark underscore liqueur, L-A-C-O-U-R. But he, it is properly capitalized because I taught him how to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All right. he did actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Events on deck. We've talked plenty about OTC. Let's talk real quick. Not, not everybody listens to the show as soon as it comes out. So maybe some people will not hear this until next week or three years from now, who knows, but just what do they need to, do to be prepared for tomorrow and give us a weather update. All right. So what we're talking about now is a rig tour. It's, it's taking place tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, if you've never been to a rig or if you'd like to see what a real offshore rig, come join us. Now, the weather is forecast to be horrible, but we're going on with the rig tour anyway. Darn it. We're in the oil and gas industry. <laughs> a little rain doesn't hurt anybody. We have a huge covered spot covered space 200,000 square feet so if it rains we'll, we have a place where you can stay dry 
as long as there's not lightning, the, the rig tour is going to go on, right? So we take groups of 20. Um, if you're going, you need to wear long pants, uh, uh, cl totally closed shoes, so no heels, ladies, no open-toe shoes. Um, no flip-flops, guys. Come on. Yeah, guys, yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you have your own hard hat and uh, safety glasses, I'd appreciate if you bring them. If not, we have a, uh, we should have enough there to, to let people borrow and use. Um, we are going to make a decision first thing tomorrow morning on whether we're going to go forward with this. As long as it's not dangerous, we are going forward with it. So here's your last chance to actually come do a rig tour, um, you know, Saturday, um, uh, which is uh, what's, what's Saturday, the April 30th, April 30th. April 30th. Yeah. So anybody who's hearing this today is going to be, is going to know about this. If you're hearing about it next week, well, you might hear an update from us on possibly a, a, a sunnier day one, Mark. Yeah, so it, we, we and I don't I don't really want to spend too much time on this because we don't know this. We may actually do a rig tour two on another date, depending on what happens tomorrow. So it's a possibility. All right, so we'll we'll just uh, leave that open. But just if, if you're hearing this today and you're coming to the rig tour, be prepared with your long pants and your closed toe shoes and so forth. All right, this next first Friday Q and A mark might be our best and longest. <laughs> we have a lot of questions, but we still don't have a voicemail. Oh, come on, people. Leave us a voicemail. It makes James happy. They <laughs> can edit it into, into the podcast. and uh, So somebody, somebody go to the website and leave us a voicemail. But, but ask a good question. I'll just leave us a voicemail. <laughs> yeah, don't just leave us a voicemail. I've had that happen, actually. I've never told you about it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so you can go to TriBrocket.com anywhere on TriBrocket.com on a laptop or a desktop. It's not on your mobile phone because it covers up half of the screen if it is. So if you go on a desktop or laptop, you'll see an orange button on the right that says send voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you, hear from you. And as we talked about, the LinkedIn group is blowing up. We're at 1,012 as of this recording. So how can people join and why should they? You should join because it's a companion to this podcast, to our career podcast, to our future podcast that you don't know about yet. So um, you know, sort of like the sister to the podcast. So if you listen to podcasts, you enjoy it, go join our LinkedIn group. Why should you join it? Because it's the most awesome LinkedIn group out there, um, especially if you're in the industry. We help, right? There's a lot of conversations going on. Um, our members are very active. If you need something, if you want to understand something, if you, you know, I just recently connected um, a reservoir engineer with one of our members who's trying to figure out how you evaluate the uh, uh, reserves, right? So um, go join. It'll take you all of two minutes. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, trybrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn will take you straight there. If you're if you're searching for it on LinkedIn, it's Global Oil and Gas Network because that is the name of the network that our next show and all future shows will go on and we own that domain. So get excited. Mark, <laughs> wrapping things up, uh, reviews. We had a record week for reviews. We got five. We got five. Oh, awesome. And so I'm going to go through these as quickly as I can because I want to be respectful of our listeners' time. But we have to go through them because they are fantastic. Jay Levine, April 22nd, five stars. Great podcast. Learn something new with each episode. Thank you, Mr. Levine. Lee, uh, Lee, um, I always try to pronounce it, but there's L-E-E-I-N-N-O-L-A. Leonola? There you go. All right. Helpful and entertaining. Five stars. There is a lot of news and even more opinions about what is going on in this volatile oil and gas market. Each week, Mark LaCour and James Hahn II choose several articles on topics of significance and help us to disseminate the facts 
from the BS. <laughs> Mark LaCour is truly an expert in oil and gas, but what makes him unique is he has a very thorough and up-to-date understanding of upstream, midstream, and downstream. Even the most seasoned and technically proficient in this field will learn something from him, and they will call him out when he is wrong, which he usually admits in the following week's podcast. <laughs> not usually. I always admit. Always. I, 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 I just yeah. love it. I love it. James Hahn II does not have the technical expertise of Mark LaCour, but if he, uh, but if he did, the show would very likely be well over my head. <laughs> Although he is silly at times, he asks the questions we all want to know, but we are afraid to ask. Many thanks to Mark and James. That is an amazing review. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's just awesome. And how much you want to make a bet that Lee actually lives in New Orleans? Lee and Nola. Oh, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? All right. Um, a high tech app for CrossFit is the is the, is the name <laughs> of the next is the next person. Exactly what I've been looking for. Five stars. As a petroleum landman, I receive eight to nine emails per day containing four to five articles apiece about the industry. These guys get to the point quick without wasting a lot of time on personal stories or poor attempts at humor, like most other podcasts. Wow. So my poor attempts aren't that poor. Um, their material is backed with facts, intuition, experience, and very little speculation. I get a synopsis of several publications and can determine which articles I want to research further. Keep up the great work, uh, good work, guys. Thank you, High Tech App for CrossFit. It's <laughs> an awesome name. All right, two more. Going quickly. VJ uh, J. Trez, maybe VJ Trez. There you go. All right, highly recommended. I love these guys. Highly informative yet laid back. Side note, side note, Mark. Sound quality and production quality is awesome too. <laughs> yeah, James works hard on that production quality, so thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, I, I was geeking out on that one. So five stars from there, and then five stars from Bruno CRC. Super job, superb job, guys. In this downturn, it's important to be aware of every link of the industry chain. You help us with that. I'm an Argentinian geophysicist working for a Californian company. Keep on like th keep on like this, guys. That's amazing. <laughs> that's again. Yeah, that's cool. That's amazing. All right, we gotta go. We gotta go. So if you've made it this far in the show, please share it with your friends. You can do that by going to trybrocket.com forward slash share li. They'll share it straight to LinkedIn forward slash share TW, we'll share it straight to Twitter, and forward slash share FB, we'll share it straight to Facebook. Let's go, Mark. Yeah, so do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. Last week, I thought I didn't record the whole show.